great to see you. I can see you on the screen and uh, fantastic to be with you as we continue in Acts. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 and this is a staggering passage that contains two resurrections from the dead in the same passage. An astonishing passage and we've just had incredible stories um, in the book of Acts. Three very dramatic things that happened before this that have really shaped this story. First of all, the death of Stephen. Do you remember that story we looked at a few weeks ago? The, the first martyr, terrible situation as he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. The second thing that happened to the church is they were scattered as a result of that because a general persecution broke out in the church in Jerusalem. So that was a crisis for the church. And we saw in the last few weeks where they went up to Samaria. Philip met the Ethiopian on his way to back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. And the whole story scattered. And the third dramatic thing which uh, we saw last week, uh, which Nick Priggis led us through, was the incredible conversion of Saul, Paul the Apostle. On the Damascus Road, suddenly he was uh, met by the risen Christ and converted. And because Saul was leading the charge of trying to persecute the church, his conversion put a sudden stop to the pressure from the Jews to persecute the church. And as a result, we find a conclusion which Luke describes in Acts 9 verse 31, the end of the last passage. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now the peace there is peace from persecution because Paul has been stopped in his tracks and the Jews lay off the pressure of the early church just for a time. Now the focus moves to Peter. Now Peter's the number one apostle. He's the leader of the team. Jesus appointed him at the very beginning. He's uh, there in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area around Jerusalem, which is the southern part of the country, is a district called Judea, the heartland of, of Judaism. And this, this revival in Jerusalem and the scattering meant that all over Judea, churches were being planted in villages and towns. And so naturally enough, Peter decides he's going to visit some of the churches to encourage them. He's doing an apostolic visit just to help them on their journey. Now this passage is pure revival. Uh, just to just to tell you before you start, this is an amazing and wonderful passage. Um, and here is Peter leaving Jerusalem and uh, going off to visit different places. So we're going to just look at it in two different sections. I'm going to read the first uh, three verses. So it's Acts 2 verse 32 to 35. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up 
and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, that's pure revival, isn't it? Lydda's just a small village. And <coughs> there are Christians there to this day. In fact, I know a pastor in that actual town, an Arab pastor. And it's just a small village. Sharon is the district, the coastal district around. And here comes Peter. And, and he sees uh, this incredible um, uh, uh, problem with, it, with Aeneas, um, a, a paralysis. And he, and he uh, raises him up with tremendous faith. Now, I said earlier on two resurrections. What I meant was one raising from paralysis. And the second one we'll see in a moment is a resurrection from the dead. Now, how did Peter exercise this kind of authority? It looks simple on paper, doesn't it? But as soon as I see something like that, I think this, we've got to get behind this story to work out how Peter had such incredible faith and what we can learn from it. Now, Peter had been on a journey of more than three years. He started out with Jesus as one of the early disciples and he traveled around with Jesus as Jesus um, healed for, for, for many months. And then he was amongst the 12 when they were commissioned to go out and heal. Um, and then he also saw Jesus perform a, the most astonishing miracles of all, which were resurrections. And I just want to just go back in the mindset of Peter. And I just want to f us to be helped by thinking of the journey that Peter was on. Because he didn't get to this point of faith by some instant miracle. He got to this point of faith by a process of learning to walk in faith and walk according to the gifts God had given him. And that's one of the themes I want to take out of this particular passage today. And <coughs> Peter had experienced failure along the way as well. He'd seen many people healed but he'd also experienced the failure of seeing people not healed at times. There are stories in the Gospels where, where the disciples couldn't heal. He'd also failed Jesus um, when he denied him um, after he, uh, he'd been arrested and denied that he knew Jesus. So Peter had a kind of pretty mixed personal background in all this. But along the journey, he kept learning what it is to walk by faith. And by now having experienced the filling of the Spirit and seeing miracles in Jerusalem, he was confident that Jesus was going to do incredible things through him. And so Aeneas was raised up from his mat and loads of people responded to the faith as a result of hearing about this miracle. So that's what I mean by pure revival. But then we come to the second story and, and Luke lingers on this story a bit more. He tells us a bit more detail and I want to spend a bit more time on this particular story. Verse 36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, 
So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they, they sent two men to him and urged him, <coughs> Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing, showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to, his, to her feet. <clears throat> then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, there's a number of remarkable things about this story, but let me just pause for a moment on Tabitha or Dorcas. She's described as a disciple, and I love that word. And we begin to see that word used in the book of Acts and in, and in the narrative that follows, <coughs> followers of Jesus. But what was the characteristic of this woman? She was always doing good, always helping the poor, and she made clothes to give to people in need. So I think the scene in that upper room uh, with all the clothes around and her dead body lying there must have been such a poignant scene. But it shows us that in the early church, discipleship involved caring for the poor in the very DNA of the church from the beginning. I think that's a wonderful thing to, to, to learn. She was a woman who was honored uh, and uh, the loss of her, the premature death of, of Tabitha was causing tremendous distress, particularly for her friends, widows, um, who uh, shared her life with her. But how did Peter get to the point where he had confidence to pray a prayer of resurrection for Tabitha? So let's go a little bit back into Peter's history again. I'm, I'm using my imagination to try and think, how did Peter get to this point? It wasn't a magical process. It wasn't a sudden imp impartation of faith. What I notice in the Gospels is that Jesus raised three people from the dead on three occasions that are recorded. There were other resurrections not, accord not recorded. And on each of these three occasions, Peter was present. On the first occasion, according to Luke's chronology, Jesus was coming to a village called Nain. And as he was arriving at the village with his disciples and some people with him, a huge crowd was coming out of the village. A woman was weeping by the side of a funeral, a coffin and a bier that was being carried out to a burial place. And the whole group of people were mourning. And it turned out this widow had only one son and he had died. And there was Jesus came right connected to these people. They, they met on the road just outside the village. Peter saw what Jesus did. He put his hand on the coffin, so to speak, which was culturally not the thing to do at that point. And then he calmed everybody down and he raised the boy up. Now, Peter saw Jesus do this. 
He actually saw it. He was right there at the front of the crowd. Shortly afterwards, a man called Jairus had a daughter who was sick and had died. A daughter we might imagine of being six, eight or ten, some that kind of age. And Jesus comes into Jairus's house and Peter is there with him. The crowd follows. There's people around and uh, they're, they're, they're weeping. And, and Jesus says to the crowd there, yeah, don't, you know, don't have faith. You know, she's, she's going, to, she's going to, be, to be raised up. And the people crying their eyes out. And other people, Luke recounts to us, who laughed at Jesus. Mourning and cynicism. And this is a, an education for Peter that's exactly relevant to this story we've got here. Because Jesus said, right, everybody stay out. We're going into the girl's room with a mother and the father and you, Peter, and John and James, the five of you and me. And they went into the room, cutting out the cynicism, cutting out the intense weeping, Cutting out those external messages and Peter saw Jesus go to this girl and speak to her uh, as if she was alive and calling her to get up. And Peter actually saw Jesus take a hand, the hand of a dead girl apparently, and raise her up by the hand, by faith. This had a huge impact on Peter. He later saw the raising of Lazarus from the dead as recorded in John chapter 11. He saw three resurrections. And here he is, probably for the first time now as the leading apostle, faced with a similar situation. And Peter had all those experiences in mind. He must have remembered the raising of Jairus' daughter. Such a similar situation. So he sent people out of the room. He got down on his knees and he prayed. And turning to the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Peter could only do that because of the path he'd been led on by Jesus and the role he'd been given and the fact that he'd exercised the faith that God had given him in the intervening period and performed many other miracles. And so it was that this miracle also had a dramatic effect. Verse 42, this became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Pure revival, we might say. The gospel is going forward with incredible power. The persecution has been stopped temporarily. And The power of God is at work and Peter is at the forefront. And these two remarkable miracles are great signs of what God is doing. Now, the risk of this story is that it can seem so far away from our experience that we can't use it in our experience. I want to build a bridge back to us as we conclude. I want to say in conclusion... God is sovereign over hostile circumstances. The church had faced some tremendous hostility. But look what God is doing. So whenever we're facing difficult circumstances, and some of us are facing them 
right now and our church has faced difficult circumstances for more than a year, a whole variety of them. But God is sovereign and he's still at work. The second thing I want to emphasize is the power of miracles as signs in evangelism. Let's pray with more urgency for God, for God to give people dreams, visions, providential circumstances, things that happen miraculously in their lives that lead them towards faith. And then in conclusion, I asked myself this question as I was studying this passage. How does our faith grow? Peter's faith had grown exponentially since the early days when he was struggling to keep up with what Jesus was doing and often put his foot in it. And here he is with tremendous authority performing these great miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does our faith grow? So in conclusion, and this is to take straight into our Zoom rooms in a few minutes for prayer. This is my reflection, some of my learning points on this bumpy journey that we all have of our faith growing. Five things that I've learnt, some of which are drawn straight out of this passage. And this is what I offer to you to encourage you today. First of all, faith grows when we embrace our situation and our circumstances wholeheartedly, however difficult or complex they are. God puts you in a particular situation at a particular time. The more people dream of being in a different situation or they're fighting against the situation they're in, the more difficult it is to live a life of faith. Now, Peter had been through some really harsh situation. He'd seen the Jerusalem church, which he'd built up, completely scattered. Thousands of disciples forced out of the city. But he didn't take it negatively. He thought, okay, I've got to go to where they are. And here he is. They've been scattered. He goes to the places where they've been scattered. So first of all, we have to embrace the situation we're in. God wants to work where you are now, the situation you're in. Secondly, the thing I've found that helps faith to grow in reality, actual faith for particular circumstances, is my and our devotional life. It is our attention to the Bible. And it is that precious ability, which I found absolutely crucial in my own life, to, ha to be quiet enough in your spirit and have time enough to listen to God. And then there are times when you just know intuitively God wants to do a particular thing. God is guiding you in a particular area. And faith comes. Faith comes in the quiet place of communion with the Spirit. And if we're too busy, our faith won't grow. We'll be very active but our faith won't grow. And the third thing I find really helpful, and it's something I think about a lot, is that Jesus said you only need faith as a mustard seed. Now, mustard seeds are very small. In my office, I have this little card, which you can see here. Someone gave it to me when I preached on a mustard seed many years ago, and it's got some mustard seeds here at the top. They're very small, and I often look at this, and I think God doesn't need me to be a superhero. He just needs a seed of faith which can germinate and multiply in 
astonishing ways. So this isn't about self-effort. This isn't about self-confidence. This isn't about your personality. This is about the seed of faith right there in the middle. And then the fourth thing I found really helpful and I want to encourage you in is that faith grows through strong fellowship and encouragement. The best thing if you want to walk in faith is to live with people who are imparting faith and encouraging you on the journey. That is tremendous. That's what church life is for. That's what key friendships are for. If our key friendships are not encouraging us in real faith, they're not deep enough. And then the fifth thing is there's a time to step out. There's a time when you know I've got to do something about this. I've got to speak to that person. I've got to pray for that person. I've got to apply for this job. I've got to give that money away. I've got to start taking up this ministry in the church. There's a time when you know. You don't just think about things. You actually have to step out. And Peter was confronted with two situations where he had to step out. He had to step out and reach Aeneas. He had to step out and lift up Dorcas. And my final point, and with this we conclude, past failure does not disqualify us from walking in faith. It was only maybe a couple of years beforehand, we don't know the exact chronology, that Peter had disastrously failed Jesus, disastrously, when he denied him. He denied he knew him just at the time of his arrest. But it did not disqualify him. So don't be disqualified if you feel you've had a checkered history with faith um, in for whatever reason it is, or you've gone passive or gone quiet, gone off the boil. God doesn't disqualify you for that reason. So this is a rich and powerful passage. And as we go into Zoom rooms in a, f in, in a few moments, I'd love you to spend time praying for each other and encouraging each other in faith. And I'm going to hand straight over to Dave now. He's coming right into the studio here at this second, and he's going to lead us as we move towards our Zoom room.